everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Salt Lake 2002 Retrospective Podcast, a back-of-house look at the planning and delivery of the Salt Lake 2002 Olympic Winter and Paralympic Winter Games, as told by the very people who organized them. I'm Christian Napier, and I am honored to be joined today by Carrie Holt Larson, who has been requested by many of her colleagues to come on this podcast, and she has kindly carved out time to share some of her stories with us today. Carrie, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for having me, Christian. This is a fun way to think back on some really amazing times and memories. Well, I appreciate you again, carving out the time and also um, joining us. I, I do have to say, I love this video feed that we're getting because it's very, very frosted. So I can't really see you. And of course, our audience, our listeners can't see you either because they're only listening. They can't see. But but I think it's fantastic. You're, you're backlit. And so it's like an angelic apparition. <laughs> it's great for uh, meetings and Zoom calls because I don't ever have to worry about hair and makeup. That's true. I mean, you could probably sit there and eat a peanut butter sandwich while you're doing a Zoom call and nobody would ever know. Exactly. Exactly. My boss finally has decided that I need a new computer because... He's he's tired of the uh, witness protection look that I've got going here. So I'll be upgrading <laughs> soon. You've got the witness protection look, but not the voice. Your voice That's is right. coming through loud and clear. Good. Speaking of your boss, that brings me to a question. What is it that you're doing these days? Who are you working for? So I am currently working for the Utah Jazz, the Larry H. Miller um, group of companies organization. Um, and my current boss is an actual old slock friend as well, Frank Zhang. So I'm super lucky that I'm still tied to quite a few people um, back in the slack days through Larry H. Miller. We, we always joke about getting the band back together because there's quite a few of us working together. Um, I oversee community relations and special events for the Utah Jazz. Well, the jazz season came to an end early when Rudy Gobert was uh, tested positive for COVID, which basically shut down the NBA for a long period of time. Now they're back at it again. How did the COVID affect the work that you're doing with community relations? Oh, it was, it's been significant. I know, I think Katie and Bev and Lori might've mentioned that we were actually meeting for dinner that night when this all happened. I was in the office actually with Frank. Um, we were watching the game on the TV in our offices and saw what was going on and it all just kind of blew up from there. But um, it has significantly just because of obviously um, what we try to do with the community partners. A lot of the partners were closed down um, the nonprofit groups, um, and then just being able to kind of do our normal outreach. We've had to really limit, um, obviously access and contact, um, with those groups that we normally are um, involved with. And some of the, just the fun things that we do at games, bringing groups in special. We had a cute boy from make a wish that was supposed to come to a game in March that wasn't unable to come. So some of those types of things were, we were sad, um, to be able or disappointed to have to cancel some of those events. And now all of the teams playing, they're not playing here locally, right? They're down in Florida playing in a bubble. So how does community relations deal with that, with the team playing far away? We've tried to do a few things. Um, you know, obviously technology is amazing and we've done some um, video uh, meetings, a little, some things like that. Tried to get, the guys have done great. The guys have done some Instagram live, trying to interact. Um, we still done a few. And the other thing that's been hard is like a lot of the nonprofits, their, their annual charity events and their fundraisers have all been canceled as well. And I know that that's impacted and hurt them. Um, so we try to still be engaged a little bit that way with donations, things that we can do. Um, and we're just kind of gearing up to when we can 
interact again, trying to plan ahead to see what that's going to look like three months, six months from now, next season. You mentioned that uh, several people that used to work for Slock now work for the Jazz. I think you're the first person that is currently with the Utah Jazz that we've interviewed. And I hope that we can get some of your colleagues from the jazz as well. It sounds to me like I'm trying to infiltrate the organization and that's not the case, but, but I'd love to have some of those uh, uh, former slockers who now work for the jazz also come on to the podcast and share their stories as well. Yes, definitely. I, I'll send you some names for sure. Excellent. Fantastic. Well, you're at home. Do you have children at home and has COVID impacted their routine? We, we do. I have two girls. Um, we're really lucky, I think, when this all happened. Um, the girls are both older. I have a, a soon-to-be senior and a soon-to-be like ninth grade freshman. And um, my daughter's, my high school daughter, Olivia, her school was already really um, kind of designed for this. They were all very digitally. Uh, it's a brand new high school. She goes to um, Farmington High School. Um, everything was uh, pretty much already based almost on an online system. And so it was quite easy for them to transition. She already had a laptop. Um, the initial, you know, just sort of figuring it out was, was challenging, but once she got kind of settled, settled in the, um, their school was sort of already designed for it. And Lucy, my ninth grader is, um, she's just really flexible and easygoing. And so we've just kind of designated time and space and they really adjusted well. So I was proud of them. Um, and we, my husband's working from home as well. So we've kind of got our designated space and then we, we all sort of go to our corners to work and to get things done and then kind of come together. Um, and we're lucky we're not exactly right on top of each other. We kind of have room to spread out. So that's really helped a lot to be able to stay sane, um, kind of do our own thing and then come together for family time. Well, it sounds like your children have handled it really, really well. I would say if I had kids in school, I don't anymore, except for I've got a daughter that's at the University of Utah. She's also very motivated, but there are a couple of my kids. It would have been really, really difficult to get them motivated to do online work. All right. Well, we've dwelt on COVID enough. Let's let's talk about something that happened a long time ago. It seems like it's yesterday, but at the same time, it also seems like it was a century ago in some respects. And that is the Salt Lake 2002 Games. Carrie, why don't you give us a, a little bit of a rundown about how you joined the organizing committee? What were you doing before you started working for the Salt Lake Organizing Committee? And what was your path to the committee? I am just so lucky because it was a friend, um, Andrea Roth Wright. Um, we had gone to high school together. I had graduated from um, BYU in international relations, kind of political science. And a friend of mine suggested that we have an adventure. So we went um, to London. We moved there on student visas. She had just graduated. I had just graduated. So we were able to go on student visas and through a, a company um, that was able to kind of sponsor us. And we were able to just work part-time. So we just got temp work. So after I had graduated from BYU, we, we went that fall. Um, I think it was like August or September. And we had planned to stay um, through December. Uh, when we got back, it just happened that I got a phone call from Andrea she had been, um, she had started with Slock, I don't think very long, um, and uh, knew Tosh Brinkerhoff, who was looking for someone to fill a position in the sport department. And so um, Andrea just, I don't even know honestly why she thought of me, but she just sort of called me out of the blue and asked if I would be interested. I had just gotten home from London and didn't quite know what to do with myself next. Um, and so I went in and I interviewed with Tosh Brinkerhoff. I think it was 
December, January. So 99, 98, 99. And, um, they hired me. So that was just really a serendipitous moment. Totally serendipitous. So two questions. Number one was, how did you like London? Uh, and number two is, have you ever thought what life would have been like if Andrea never called you about this opportunity at SLOC? London was amazing. Um, it's, it's so it's to be able to live in a city as opposed to just visiting it is such a different experience. Um, just a lot of funny adventures. I, my friend that we went with, um, we both again, got these different jobs that that could be a whole another episode in itself, just all the funny adventures in London. Um, and honestly, Andrea, she just, she set my career path really because, um, you know, as my first job to, to work for the Salt Lake organizing committee, it, I just couldn't imagine, um, cause it just slows her sort of solidified my love of sport and events and um, I honestly can't imagine what I would have done otherwise had that not taken me down that path. Well, you mentioned that you joined the sport department. What sport and what was your role? So I was initially hired to be the administrative assistant for Kathy Priestner Allinger. And she was over all of the sport department. Um, Tosh at the time was, I think, the coordinator. And he also was... Um, I can't remember exactly what he was over, but, um, my first initial role was just to assist Kathy. So that was kind of being able to be a little bit a part of everything that was going on in the sport department. And Kathy was my first real boss and she really set a high standard of just, she was just a really inspiring, um, leader. And, and especially as a female for me to be able to model after that and to see that and to have that as my first experience in the workforce was pretty remarkable. So you had a, an incredible mentor there to start out with. Yes, definitely. Got to know her family really well. We were really close. I would house it when they'd go out of town, um, kind of grew up with her kids a little bit. So she was, and she's just has this remarkable history as well as an Olympian herself, her management style. Um, I just, I learned so much just observing her and the way that she, I mean, she worked in this, you know, again, predominantly male dominated world, working with the different, um, NGBs and international federations. Um, and it was just, and she was very inclusive. She let me be a part of all of the things that she was doing. I got to observe really closely how she communicated with them, kind of her thought process, uh, just the way she worked. She really let me be a part of her, her like routine. And I, and I think that really helped. Carrie, perhaps you can tell us a little bit about those early days in the organizing committee. It was a tumultuous time in some respects, right? You had some turnover in the leadership. There was a scandal. What was it like coming in initially and working those, those first months there in the organizing committee? Honestly, I remember even kind of that first day when I was getting the tour um, of the offices and there was, um, I think they had some like medals that were in a case and, you know, just being introduced to these different people. I'm pretty sure I was introduced to Dave Johnson that first day. And I'm, I'm almost positive by the end of the week, everything had blown up. Um, so I, it was literally like that close to what I first started that things kind of went a little bit crazy. Um, I don't, I don't remember a lot of that part of it other than just like I was just trying to keep up. I was just trying to figure out what my role is and how I could help, but not really understanding all of the background and what was going on um, with it. And I think I was like one of the first hundred, hundred plus employees. So it was still relatively small. Um, the sport department wasn't very big. Kathy, Tosh, I think they had a handful of managers and directors hired. 
Um, but I was, I was able to kind of see that process too, as, as Kathy interviewed and as they brought on additional people and built that team up. Um, I remember also too, that we just moved a lot. I felt like we moved offices at least five times in the first like six months that we were there. So there was a lot of just like trying to coordinate and, and, um, do those types of things, but just trying to just learn as much as I could just try to absorb everything that I possibly could. Those, those first, um, few months. And honestly, I would say Tosh also was a huge just supporter. He was so great to me. He really took me under his wing. Um, he's also just someone that I admire so much, just his work style, his ethic. Um, so, so again, I was, I just started out in this great position of being surrounded by pretty amazing people. So I have to ask, did you stay in this assistant role forever or did you transition to other roles in the sport department? I, I was lucky. I did move around a little bit. I loved being um, Kathy's assistant just because I was part of so much. And then actually when Fraser came on, his office was located to Kathy's. And rather than him um, getting another assistant, he just asked if I could help him too. So I, I did that role for a while where I was able to assist both Kathy and Fraser, which was very cool. A very different experience with Fraser. Um, just obviously his work style, but but he was very kind and generous to me as well. Um and then I transitioned to more of a coordinator role still in the sport department. Um, and then eventually, as we got a little bit closer, I did go down a different path with um, being the coordinator for speed skating um, at the Utah Olympic Oval. So that was a decision because the Oval was a permanent venue. And since I was from here, I lived here, I thought that there was a chance maybe that that could continue on after the game. So that was a little bit strategic on my part, just knowing that the chances were good that maybe I could stay in that role. And I had developed a really great relationship with Nick Thomas, who was the director um, over that facility and speed skating. You just mentioned that you had this kind of path. You had a little strategy to keep yourself involved after the games concluded. Did that strategy pan out? Did your goal come to fruition? It did. I was fortunate. I stayed on with the Utah Olympic Oval post games. Um, and I had a, a kind of a, a lot of different roles there. Um, had done... A lot of events, just like their event coordination, um, oversaw most of the speed skating related sport events as well that we hosted at the Oval and eventually transitioned to become like the business manager um, at the Oval until I'm just, I can't even think of what year it was. Um, and then even after I, I stopped working full time when I had my second child, um, after Lucy was born, I had stopped working full time and still was uh, contracting with them and doing work. I did some contract work for the foundation. And then I also kept doing all of the um, sport events, the speed skating um, and short track speed skating events at the Oval as well, just on a contract basis. So I was still tied to them years after even I had left um, full time. All right. Well, I'm going to come back to that post game stuff uh, in a minute, but now let's get back to the Salt Lake games here. Did you have sport in your background or speed skating or any kind of uh, competitive sport in your background prior to joining the Salt Lake Organizing Committee. You mentioned that you went to Brigham Young University, you graduated with a degree in uh, international relations, political science, but well, did you have any kind of uh, sport background prior to working for SLOG? Other than just being a fan of sports and, and being a pretty active person, I did not excel at anything. So uh, again, just mostly being a fan and being active. Um, I do, this is sort of delving into a little bit of a story, but I remember watching the Olympics, I think I was in high school, so I don't remember exactly, but I remember watching um, snowboarding and um, telling my mom that it would be so much fun. I would love to be an Olympic athlete in snowboarding. And this is me having never snowboarded. And I was only like a subpar skier at this time. 
So this was just one of those, like, it would be so cool if I could just snap myself into a really cool talent, that would be it. And, um, it, that was just a funny, like, Oh, I wish I could do that. And then when I actually started working for Slock and then actually being part of it and seeing that develop, I, I, I think of that memory all the time, like, well, I didn't make it as a snowboarder, but here I am still. Um, and so yeah, I guess those who can't, you know, do the sport themselves, they learn how to organize it. Uh, that's definitely true uh, for me in my case as well. I- I'd like to ask, you know, what was it like being there at the speed skating oval in the presence of incredible athletes? I mean, of course, you're not in their presence all the time, but you get to see competitions, you get to see test events, uh, you get to see trainings. For me, there are two kinds of people that I just look at with awe, and they are athletes and musicians for whatever reason. And, um, you know, just what describe for me what it was like to be around uh, some of the world's greatest athletes. That's, I think that's part of probably the, my best memory. And, and it actually started before even getting out to the Oval because a lot of these sport managers that Kathy had hired were former Olympians themselves. I mentioned Nick who was this remarkable speed skater and you look at his history and he actually had some health problems that sort of derailed him from the sport, but he was on track to be sort of the greatest of his time. Um, he, he broke a world record and, you know, Andy had competed in several Olympics. Amy was Amy Preston. Um, she was a collegiate uh, gymnast. I mean, so I was already Lyle, Lyle Nelson. He was this amazing biathlete. Like, so there was already sort of these people that I had met that were pretty remarkable. And then we get out to the oval and, um, you're actually getting to see them train. And it was, it's amazing to see them in the process of building up to a competition. So it's not like you just go out and you see them train, you know, you see them compete and you know, that's, that's, cool and inspiring, but you get to see them as they're preparing. You get to see them, especially the U S athletes that were training. I mean, some of these guys were juniors when I first got out to the oval and they were building up towards 2002 and then to see what they were able to accomplish. Um, the Joey cheeks, the Nick Pearson's of the world. Like they, it was just so fun to see them in this really early stage where they were just excited and starting out and, and just to see and watch their careers, um, over because I was involved and I kept involved in the, in the sport for so long, it was pretty remarkable. Cause I didn't know anything about speed skating. I mean, I barely, I don't, I don't even know, remember I would have been able to describe it before I had gotten involved. Um, and then to see it up close and in person and it's, and they dominate obviously the, um, the Dutch skaters and to be able to see them. And, and I met some really cool, international athletes that I would see over and over, you know, year after year that would come and compete at different, at different competitions. And it's just, that part was so fun to see their careers, to follow them that way as well. Well, you've already said that you've, that you've touched on a couple of the stories that you intended to discuss here today. And I want to make sure that we give you ample time to get through the stories that you have in your mind. So I just want to open it up. Um, what have you got? to share with us, Carrie, what, what stories they could be fun. They could be interesting. They could be about challenges. They could be about great people. You know, why don't you share with us some of the stories that you've thought about as you've prepared for our conversation today? Well, it's funny. Cause when I looked over kind of what, what I'd written down, just as far as like what stories to share, they aren't necessarily related specifically to the competition of the Olympics or to hosting the actual games. Um, one of the, uh, one of the first is I was, because I thought, why not challenge myself a little during this really busy time? I had wanted to go back to school and get an MBA. 
um, and I didn't want to wait too long. That was my concern. If I waited too long, that I wouldn't go back. And so I applied, um, to the U and decided, okay, I'll just go for it and go part-time. Um, and I did not do very well on the, on the GMAT, which is the, the test that you have to take to get in. And, um, I, at the time when I was applying, I had been working for Fraser for a short time and I decided to ask him to write me a letter of recommendation to go with my application. And he did. So he handed me the envelope and the envelope was already sealed. So I didn't get a chance to read whatever he wrote, but I feel, um, like I, I really think that that letter probably helped a lot because again, my, my test score was not stellar. So, uh, I always think in my mind that I, I probably owe that to Fraser, um, partially getting into that program and being able to finish and do that, um, during that time. So he was, he was great to work for as well. And, and again, a different style than Kathy, but, um, it's just very cool to observe, right? Observe how other people work. And especially as an assistant role, you get to kind of see them in all the different, um, times of, you know, in meetings or, you know, as they communicate with people as they, as they, um, do their jobs. So that was one, um, oh, yeah, before you go on, I, I have to ask about the MBA. So you get in, who knows what Fraser wrote, but obviously it helped. It didn't hurt. It didn't hurt. That. Sure. Um, but then you have to start actually attending classes, right? And you got to do work. So how did you find some kind of balance or was your life just completely on 24 seven with a full-time job with the Salt Lake Organizing Committee and then attending school as well? So the classes were at night. It was like twice a week in the evening. So, you know, I would just kind of usually head up to um, school right after work and Kathy was great. And everyone I was working with was great. They knew I was in school. So they tried to be really generous and flexible with me. And, um, so much of what you do in an MBA program is group work. And I had an amazing group. We, you kind of got, uh, that very first day we kind of got grouped off and we had to do silly, like get to know yous. And then we had to introduce ourselves as a group. And we made up this funny cheer and, and we were very different. There was like five or six of us. We came from very different backgrounds. Um, a couple of them were programmers. One guy was really into finance. Um, and for some reason that, that group just stuck. So we stuck together and they really saved me a bunch of times. Like, you know, in group work, they would, if I was crazy busy with an event, they would, you know, take that load off of me and, and let me kind of, um, they would carry that burden in, in times. And then when I was less you know, busy than I could, I could pick up again. So I had this amazing group that really helped carry me through. And we, you know, we, we stayed close that whole entire time. And essentially we stayed as a group through the whole entire like three-year program. And that was really remarkable. The other thing is, is that the university of Utah pretty much shut down during the Olympics. So that wasn't even something I had to worry about with school because the campus just closed down and they just knew that it was going to be this four week, three week break. So that actually helps a ton too. All right. Excellent. Thank you for um, indulging my interest there and going off on a little tangent. I'll let yeah. you get back to your regularly scheduled stories. No. Um, the other one other thing that I had been wanting to try to do was I'd never run a marathon and I'd kind of been a jogger all my life. And so I had decided that maybe I should try to run this marathon. And of course, I have all these Olympians around me, so I should ask them to train with me and to help me. And so I remember just after work a few times, I would try to get a group together to run. And I don't know what I was thinking at the time, who, who as a beginner should run with Olympians. Like that's, you know, even, even past Olympians, they'd been retired for many years. They still were, 
very, very fit. So they were really kind. I just remember Lyle Nelson specifically. He was the biathlon manager. Um, we had a big group. We were up running through the avenues and he was amazing. He was like just a machine. He could just go and go and go. And he would run up to whoever was in the lead and then run back to whoever was falling behind. And, and he was just like the energizer bunny and like the cheerleader, just keeping everyone going and encouraging everyone. Um, so that was one of my favorite memories is, is the staff just sort of like rallying with me and, and going out on all these crazy runs um, to help me train. And at the time, actually, Dawn, um, Dawn Allinger Lewis, um, she was training to compete in handball. And Nick Thomas was kind of helping to train her too. So we would go up to the East High School track and run sprints. Again, this is just, you know, these people would just, I think Dawn and I were the only ones that were actually training for something, but everyone else just kind of came along for fun and and just to be supportive. Um, So those are some of my favorite memories is just getting my butt kicked by these athletes, helping me try to train. Um, They just were such people. I got to give you mad props because I would have been super intimidated to train with Olympians. So I have to give you mad props for that. And I also have to ask the question, what marathon did you end up running? I ran the St. George marathon. Um, it's the, it's the, I was one and done. I've never done it before. I've done a bunch of half marathons, but it was, it was a one and done kind of thing. I I never wanted to do it again. Um, and I was just dumb. I think I was just so young that I didn't even, you know, when you're young, you just think like, Oh, Hey, I'm going to go running. Do you guys want to come with me? <laughs> Not really thinking the whole, you know, thing through until they're, you know, running circles around you or you're, you know, laying in a pile, you know, after trying to do these, these wind sprints with uh, Nick and Don. Um, but that's just how they, they just were so fun. Like that, that's the thing, like, um, this was again, my first sort of grown up job and to go out after work. And it's funny because as I was young, I'm, um, I was a member of the church. Uh, I'm a member of the church. And so, you know, we'd go out afterwards for drinks, you know, and since I was drinking soda or whatever, I never paid for anything because everyone's like, Oh, Carrie, you're not drinking anything. So I don't think I ever paid for a meal or for a drink for the first, you know, while I worked there. Um, cause everyone else was always taking care of me. I just sort of felt like they were, everyone just, I, that's what I felt like. I felt like I was just, you know, you were part of this family and everyone just sort of took care of each other. Um, and that was, it's just, yeah, just thinking about it, I'm just smiling because I, I'm so grateful for these people. Like it was just a really, really cool time. That is a great little secret about being a member of the church and not drinking alcohol. Your beverages are usually much, much less expensive than everyone else's beverages. And so they usually just kind of pick it up and say, ah, don't worry about it. Exactly. So, and they're like getting food at the same, you know, food too. They just sort of threw it all in there. So again, I don't think I paid for a meal for a really long time. I probably owe all of them. So I have to ask you this. It sounds like you are ambitious. And I don't mean that in a, in a derogatory way, because sometimes people equate ambition to greed or selfishness but you wanted to accomplish much. And I'm just curious where, I mean, like you said, you, you trained for this marathon, you went to grad school, you, you schemed for lack of a better word to get out into the oval uh, for your career. I'm just curious where this comes from. Where does this, this sense of ambition or purpose come from? I think I've always been a little bit competitive, just sort of naturally, um, to just want to do well. Um, and part of that also a childhood friend of mine, she, um, had a family, her father was a a lawyer and a bankruptcy judge. And she had three older, two older sisters and a younger sister. And just being around her family, her sisters were really 
um, they ran for office in high school and they were leaders in high school and, and they were always doing these cool things and they were very ambitious. And I think being around that really at an early age, I saw that and I wanted that. Um, and I, and I definitely think I credit that influence of her and her sisters and her family and her parents. And of course my family was very supportive. Um, but in a, in a, whatever you do is wonderful kind of way. And I think that just seeing like sort of the expectation for yourself, they set expectations for themselves um, at a young age. I, I mean, again, I was in elementary school and I remember just being so impressed with these girls and the things that they were doing. Um, so I think that set me off a little bit um, as far as just wanting to accomplish that and wanting. And to be honest, like I just I think I liked praise. I think I liked the positive feedback of doing well. Um, and that always sort of drove me at work as well. Just that positive reinforcement of you're doing a good job, you're helping. And, and I just wanted to do that more and more. Um, so I think that was kind of the early of, of sort of where that um, drive came from. All right. Returning again from my little tangential <laughs> set of questions there. Uh, let's get back to your list of stories, Carrie. What else do you have for us? Um, I think one of the sort of like learning moment stories that I had is we were doing one of our test events and, um, this, this was the oval had been through their like construction problems and, you know, they were late being able to, um, open the building and we were hosting the world, a world championships. And it was a big deal. This was my first event being really responsible and in charge. And I remember, um, I had gotten into an argument with someone else who was working and I just kind of lost it. I lost my cool. I broke down. And, um, it was just a really defining moment because I, I remember that feeling and, and being really frustrated and, but also so embarrassed that I, you know, lost it. Um, and Nick, I just remember him talking to me and, and he was calm. Like he was, he didn't have like a high, low, he was just calm all the time. And, um, just him kind of like having a chat with me and settling me down and just kind of saying like, you, you're capable of this. You can do this. You can handle this. And, um, that was like a really huge learning defining moment for me that I took with me, like in high stress moments, um, to just like pause, to take a breath, to not let myself be so consumed or overwhelmed or emotional. Um, and that, that was like a really defining moment, I think. And, and not to say that I don't get frustrated or whatever, but just that like complete meltdown at work, you know, like I was like a two-year-old kid in a grocery store, just like flailing, you know, and, and that was such a, like a learning moment for me that I was really able to kind of channel his calmness and just like, you've just got to take a breath, you, you know, like think things through before you react. Um, really has helped me. And whenever I speak, you know, to like students or things like that, I always bring up that story of kind of that, that learning moment for me and to, to kind of help me, um, as I went forward, being able to control my stress and control anxiety and in, in really high pressure moments. It's a, it's a good thing that you learned that before the game started, right? Because it gets really high pressure during the actual games. Yeah, exactly. It's funny actually, because test events, you run a test event, um, in like two or three days, and you have all of these different um, races, when you actually get to the Olympics, you're doing like one distance a day. It actually feels really easy in comparison to like a world championship or a world cup where you're cramming everything into a weekend versus spreading it out over two weeks. Uh, that was actually something that I wasn't expecting um, on the competition, like your actual competition 
schedule was so generous um, when you span it over a week's time or two weeks time. Um, okay, I guess my last uh, funny memory is that I can't remember. It was just like a random day in the office and they just were recruiting people to go out. They were just doing like a photo shoot of some product and they just wanted, to, you know, employees. And um, I can't even remember why they, you know, why they asked us, but I just, I generally tried to say yes to everything. So I went out, we went to a park. I think we were up at Beth White was there. I'm trying to think of who else was there. And they just took a bunch of photos. They gave us different um, merchandise to wear. I think it might've been for merchandise. Maybe they were just doing sampling or something like that. And um, so we just went and had fun. And then I don't remember how long afterwards that was that I, um, all of a sudden there was this picture of me um, and they were going to use it for the volunteer um, campaign to recruit volunteers. So this just random picture that I hadn't, you know, just for fun became, I became sort of this face of this volunteer campaign where like full spread, like ads and newspapers, like had my face on them. Um, and that was a very surreal kind of funny experience. And, and it's funny because people who didn't know me would, would recognize me and say, Hey, aren't you, aren't you the volunteer face? And, and, but people who knew me that I worked with were like, Oh, I don't think that looks like you. So it was just this kind of funny, surreal, my parents still have this newspaper ad, you know, on their fridge somewhere or something like that. I mean, it was just crazy. My face was showing up and all of this, uh, all of these different like materials all over the place. Um, so that was kind of a funny, surreal moment <laughs> of my Olympic. Well, I, of course your parents have the newspaper saved. I mean, that's what parents do. And clearly the campaign worked because we, we got a lot of volunteer candidates and we had a great volunteer workforce. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. Um, but that's, yeah. So those were kind of the stories that I thought to share. Well, one other question I have for you before we get to our final segment is, well, I guess I'll split it into two parts. Uh, number one, you mentioned that you had some great mentors. What were some of the lessons that you learned from them that you have incorporated in your work post games, whether it was with the oval or now with the Utah jazz? Um, I think one great thing was just how many different styles there are of leadership or of work, um, but how they can be successful, even though they're different. Um, I think, yeah, just observing just different ways of, of managing from, you know, Herbert Demshar, who was over all of the Alpine sports, um, Spence Eccles Jr., you know, just the kindest person in this world, just so nice, um, just different styles. All of them had such different ways of doing things, but they were successful in so many ways. Um, so I think that's something, and then also just working hard. Everyone, everyone just worked so hard. I, I guess too, if you put these former athletes who were used to training and the rigors of that kind of really um, disciplined life, and then, you know, put that into a work environment, they, they operate the same way. Um, but just how much fun too, like they, they just were fun and, um, how inclusive I felt like everyone was and maybe inclusive as like the sport department. I sort of felt like I was in the cool kids club just by accident. I just sort of fell into the cool kids club by being in the sport department. Um, and, and I do think just that influence of this was my first professional environment. And so that really, uh, I think affected me even more looking ahead as I, as I went into my other um, jobs. And truthfully, I've never, um, I've never 
I've never had to like officially apply for a job. They've always just come to me sort of through these network. This, the, the job even that I have at Larry H. Miller was because of the generosity of Linda Lucchetti, who would be a great interview for you. She's, uh, she works in basketball operations now, but at the time she recruited me to come and work and we had kind of stayed in touch as well. And, and she's again, another of these amazing female mentors. Um, so I would just, yeah, just, they're just, there's a lot of differences in the way that you can handle a problem or handle a situation. Um, and I was able to just kind of learn and observe um, different styles and ways of doing that. And I think that's really helped me. Well, I'd love to have Linda Lucchetti on. She is friends with my sister-in-law, Vonda Andrews, and Linda has come out to backyard barbecues and things over the years, but it's been several years since I've actually seen her. And yeah, I'd absolutely love to have her on. Now, what something you said is going to take me to the next question that I had for you, and that was the Cool Kids Club. So I want to figure out how did you join the Cool Kids Club? How did you end up creating these friendships that have really lasted for 20 years? I think I was lucky that I was there so early. Um, because like I said, I think that, um, Kathy and Tosh, myself, Andy and Nick and Hervig were maybe some of the very first that were hired. Um, and so I was just there through the process. And as her assistant, I was coordinating them coming in for interviews. And then once they were hired, I was helping to coordinate them getting their offices set up. So I just got to know them personally, um, as they were being hired, Craig Leto, um, he's a great friend. Um, and then I just think that they all sort of took, like I said, they just sort of let me tag along. They just let me be part of the group. And, um, I mean, I was the ring bearer at Nick and Becky's wedding and we had several weddings. I think Amy Preston had their first child during the game. So there was a lot of these kind of impactful, like, um, events that happened that we all sort of got to share to share with each other. Um, and together I got married during the games. Um, and I think, I think that was just, I guess I was just really, really lucky. And by being there early, I was a part of each of them kind of coming on. That's, I was there. Um, I know Katie has talked about that, um, hiring, being part of that hiring process, Bev, Lori, the same thing. Um, Heather Linhart Zang is another Frank, um, Heather and Frank married during the games. I mean, there's just all these super cool, um, relationships and stories that happened. And, um, I think just because I was there so early, they just, and I think they sort of like, I was like a kid sister, like, Oh, she's new. And this is her first grown up job. We're going to be really nice to her. Um, but in a non patronizing way, in a really like accepting, like, you know, you're our friend, we want to help you. Um, really supportive. Everyone is just really supportive. Yeah. I really appreciate that supportive culture as well in the Salt Lake organizing committee. And it was great. I, I, I didn't necessarily feel like I was a member of the cool kids club, but I didn't really feel like there was a cool kids club. I just, it was just a bunch of us all working there, uh, trying to deliver some great games. And, and I had a blast. I had a, I had a huge amount of fun. And speaking of huge amount of fun, Carrie, this conversation for me has been a huge amount of fun. And I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing all your stories. We're going to now navigate to our final segment of the program where I ask three questions. The first question deals with music. And I asked this question because I love music and I love the choices that so many of your colleagues have made so far on our podcast. So with that in mind, is there a song or group that you listened to back then that reminds you of your time 
during the Salt Lake games or you know, before the games? I am a huge fan of music, but honestly, this was the one question that sort of had me hang up. I just, I can't, other than just Olympic fanfare, like I, I am just the Olympic fanfare music to me is so inspiring. I just love it so much. And I love, um, you know, and because I stayed involved in some of the events and sports every time that played. Um, and I, it's funny cause I was talking to a friend this morning and she mentioned that there was this CD that they produced. And she said that her kids can still sing all these songs from this Olympic CD that was produced. And I, I can't even remember the songs that were on it, but so I think like music wise for me, it's Olympic fanfare, but I do also remember that I was a big fan of, they might be giants and they performed at Meadows Plaza. Um, and I, I remember being super excited to go and hear them play. And I was also a huge fan of Dave Matthews band at the time. So nothing that necessarily like hits home to me the way the Olympic fanfare does, but, um, I really was excited about those two concerts too. Olympic fanfare will definitely add. And I, uh, do I have your permission to choose a track from they might be giants and Dave Matthews band to add to our playlist? Definitely. I would love it. That no shortage of great tracks for them, uh, from them, uh, from those artists. So I'm happy to add those to our Spotify playlist. Now let's go to our food question. Is there a particular restaurant that you like to frequent when you work there in the Salt Lake Organizing Committee? Yeah, I think uh, it's funny because it kind of changed based on where our offices were because we changed offices, you know, multiple times. I remember that we would love to go to Gormandy's for lunch when we were at that 275 building. And, um, and then when we had moved to be in the American stores building, we used to love to go to that soup place that was down across from Pioneer Park, I think. Um, and then uh, one of the places we would always go after work is um, in Charlie Square. I think it was like, I can't remember what it was called now, the Green Pig or something. Um, it was in Charlie Square. That's all I remember. And that was one of the places we would go to like after work. That's, that's where a lot of people would gather. All right. I'll try to find something related to the green pig. <laughs> I can't um, the soup, uh, what, was it called big city soup? Or yes, something like big that? City soup. yes, that was it. Loved yeah. it. Yeah, that was great. And then gourmandise is one of my favorites as well. Several people have already nominated that one and I love going there. Now to my last question for you, Carrie, do you have a favorite Olympic moment? Now this doesn't have to be something that happened during competition. Uh, could be something that was behind the scenes or it could have been something that uh, took place before the games. Uh, but what's your, what's your favorite memory that just gives you that nice warm feeling whenever you think about it? Um, this is, this one is actually specific to competition. I think it was watching Derek Parra win a gold medal. Um, and he's still a good friend today. And again, just his work, the work that he put in and he is just such a good person and a nice guy. And, um, to see him get that, you know, get that success after coming from inline, you know, he wasn't someone who'd skated all his life. Um, just, just seeing that moment and, and being so happy for someone who you just know worked so hard and really deserved it. Um, so that, I think that was probably one of my goosebumps moments was there. And then again, just, just being around all of these super cool people. Um, like I said, the, the sport department, the, the family, the, the friendships that was, um, that really was the highlight of the whole experience for me. I feel the same way. It's really about the relationships and the people that we worked with and that that's where my memories are. So I appreciate you sharing that, Carrie. Thank you so much again for taking time on this beautiful morning to join our podcast. Now, if our listeners want to get in touch with you, 
they want to learn more about the work you're doing with the Utah Jazz and community relations, or they want to share memories of the Salt Lake 2002 games, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, probably just email. My email is um, Carrie, K-A-R-I dot Larson with an O at utahjazz.com. Um, I'm sort of on social media, but not even, I don't even actually know what my handles are on social media, but uh, email me. That's the best way to, to catch me for now. All right. Email it is. Carrie, thank you again. Listeners, please like and subscribe to our podcast. We'll talk to you again soon. Carrie, thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's been fun having going down this memory lane. <laughs>